You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Welcome, friends, to episode 190 of American Sex Podcast. I am so stoked to share this conversation with you. We talk about what to do when your or your partner's sex drive just wanes, or is it waxes, or is it, I'm not sure, you you know, you're not really doing much, so you don't wax anymore. I don't know, but our guest is Cindy Darnell, and she's going to tell you all about it. Cindy is a clinical and somatic sexologist and the author of Sex When You Don't Feel Like It, The Truth About Mismatched Libido and Rediscovering Desire. Originally from Australia, she's now based out of New York City. As a trained psychotherapist, Cindy currently supports individuals, couples, and polycules navigating relationships and sexual difficulties, plus professional mentorship and case consultations to clinicians and sexologists worldwide seeking to deepen their understanding of the links between psychotherapy, sexology, relationship work, and somatic practice. Cindy has a podcast called The Erotic Philosopher, dedicated to exploring issues affecting modern sex and relationships, and her numerous academic works are published in the Journal of Sexual and Relationship Therapy, also the Journal of Sex Education, among others. And her expert opinion is frequently sought out by media outlets worldwide, including this one. Are we a media outlet? Are we worthy enough to be called a media outlet? I'm going for it. Whatever. Kind of have imposter syndrome, but whatever. Yeah, we're a media outlet. Uh, Really, though, I have had a long time crush on Cindy's brain, her way of approaching and explaining difficulties within sex and relationships is so practical, so disarming, and so achievable. And when I read Sex When You Don't Feel Like It, I was like, instantly, this is a classic masterpiece. Oh my goodness. This is the book that I'm going to be recommending to people for years to come, whether you're kinky, whether you're vanilla, it does not matter. This is some invaluable information. So, so many of us go through periods in our lives where we're not happy with the amount of sex we do or don't want. You know, something has changed, whatever that thing is. Or maybe we're perfectly okay with our interest level in sex, but we're mismatched with our partners and it's causing friction in our relationship. Many, dare I say, probably most of us have been there at one point or another. And if we haven't yet, life's not over. We probably will be at some point. So this conversation unpacks desire problems in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're broken because you're not, you're not broken. You're good. You're not broken. 
Uh, this conversation also gives actionable steps to suss out the situation and come up with changes that will help everyone involved feel heard and seen and get their needs addressed. Getting to specifics, we talk about spontaneous versus responsive desire, arousal versus libido versus desire versus attraction. They are all very different and you need to know. Uh, We also discuss mapping out your erotic template, taking erotic risks, and a lot more. Seriously, this conversation might change your damn life. I'm, I'm serious. Absolutely serious. But before you start your metamorphosis into a brand new person, uh, let's wash the balls, which is housekeeping here on American Sex Podcast. I've been dropping lots of hints over the last few episodes, right? You know that I have been cooking something up. And this week, the time has finally arrived. I am going to birth my baby. No, I'm mixing my metaphors. I'm not cooking a baby. I'm going to birth my turkey. I'm having a turkey. Just go with it. It works. You know what I mean? Yeah, the time has arrived. I can't really tell you quite yet the time for what, um, but I can get real close. So if you're listening to this podcast on the day it dropped, which is June 6, 2022, you got 48 more hours to go because this big thing is happening on Wednesday, June 8th. It will be unveiled to the world. The world will all share in a turkey dinner <laughs> with all the trimmings. Uh, really, for that turkey dinner, get your butt over to zippermagazine.com. So, uh, who is with me on this launch journey? Who is helping me cook the dinner? Who is who's helping me set the table? Uh, just I'm gonna I'm gonna milk this metaphor for everything that I've got. Uh, Melina Williams Haas, you know Melina, Majori, Pop Amp, and Mr. Christopher of What's the Safe Word, uh, Kitty Striker, Dom Tomorrow, and a bunch of other people right from our own communities, people that are both new to BDSM and people that are longtime seasoned kinksters and everywhere in between. So that's a lot of hinting. It's a lot of hinting, but that is all the hinting you're going to get right now. I will say if you visit my social media, you might get a few more hints too. I might just have some links in the episode description. But seriously, this is uh, kink education and kink culture like you've never quite seen before with no stigma, no judgment, none of that mainstream fluff. Zipper Magazine is just real kink for real people. And you know, when I say real, I don't mean one true way kind of real. I mean, realistic. You're going to love it. So lastly, Before we get on our conversation with Cindy, I'm just going to remind you, check all the links in our show notes. Not only will you find Cindy's links, there's a lot of other helpful stuff too. Uh, Link to our Discord server. You're welcome to come join us. Come on along. Also, our Patreon, my very, very free BDSM negotiation mini workbook. You should go get it. Discounts to our sponsors and affiliates and a bunch of other cool stuff. So go on and visit. And that's it. These balls are now clean. You hear them squeaking, those squeaky, squeaky balls. All right. Here is 
Mismatch Libido, and Rediscovering Desire with Cindy Darnell. On the line, we've got Cindy Darnell. And and Cindy, if I did not appreciate your brilliance and your brain before, which I did, I didn't think I could appreciate it more until I just read your book. Uh, thank you for gracing that to the world. Hi, Cindy. Hi, darling. It's so good to hear you and be in your company again. It's been a fucking long time. I know. Yes. I know. So, all right. Uh, oh, and hi. Hi, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? You know, I'm on the other side of COVID and, and I'm okay. And, and I didn't, I haven't caught it yet. I probably shouldn't say that. But uh, Oh, yeah, knock, knock all the wood. Knock, and, knock, yeah. knock on the, all the wood. Here we go. There it is. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've been keeping well uh, despite all of the world's upheavals. Oh, we've, yeah. we've been on lockdown the whole time. We still, we're still not out. Yeah. We're flat out yeah. hiding. Like we still just do grocery stores and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Right. I'm, right. I'm I mean, kind of good with it though. I'm, I'm sort of. Yeah. People suck. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I hate the living. Adapted. I really do. I hate like the living. I, I, I moved across the planet, and then you know, I had a sort of a little bit of a go of being in New York by myself, and then COVID hit, and then I was really by myself. So I'm only just sort of emerging from this very strange cocoon, also, uh-huh. and uh, here I am on the other side of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you are addressing a topic that is not only timeless. Uh, and I think now with COVID and people really focusing inward on like, what matters to me? What's wrong in my life and yeah. relationships that I can fix that sort of thing? I think it's yeah. even more timely. So um, sex when you don't feel like it, the truth about mismatch libido and rediscovering desire. Now, yep. I'm sure you've had this experience we've had when we're yeah. out and about and we're talking to some, you know, a stranger, we mean a new person. And they say, well, what do you do for a living? And you're like, well, you know, I'm a sex educator, sex therapist, sexuality professional, et cetera. And then they go, <laughs> really? who needs that? I mean, yeah. sex is natural. Why do you need somebody to teach you how to do it? That's ridiculous. Uh-huh. Um, and we we all know that, you know, it's like, okay, those folks are probably – one, talking about more of the mechanics of sex. Two, probably coming from their egos a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, not- I actually think Ben Shapiro has done more for our career than anybody else. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Oh, totally. Thank totally. you for taking one for the team. Totally. <laughs> but it's like, you know, when, when we hear those conversations, what people don't realize is we're completely ignoring like the cognitive, neurological, emotional, like the human parts of sex that factor into arousal and desire yeah. and, yeah. and satisfaction and pleasure and all of those things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, why'd you write this book? Is that because why, or is there more I'm missing? That's just completely yeah. fucked up. No, I mean, that's, sex. that was it because, <laughs> you know, years and years ago I was in a relationship for several years where, you know, the first six months, everything was fine. And then I, I completely lost interest in sex. And the person that I was dating at the time was, you know, 
uh, cisgendered male. Uh, he was very into kink. He was into all kinds of stuff. And so the beginning of our relationship was, you know, very, you know, anything goes kind of thing. And I went from being, this is the best thing ever, um, you know, even fully embracing the notion of monogamy. I was so completely smitten by the whole thing. that. And then six months in just being like, oh, my God, I don't want to fuck him anymore. I don't want to, I don't even want to masturbate anymore. I don't want to, I just don't want to do anything anymore. And me being me, you know, I've always been a very sexual, very sort of sexually kind of enthusiastic person. So for me to go from that to this real feeling of I don't want any sex with anyone at all anymore was a real shock. And I went around looking for therapists myself. And of course, everybody that I went to was like, well, tell me about your childhood and tell me about your father and tell me about this and that, that, that. And I was just, uh, and even though I didn't have any answers, I knew that that was not the way through. I mm -hmm. knew it had nothing to do with my childhood and nothing to do with my, you know, family of origin and nothing to do with any of those things. But I also didn't know what it was, but I knew that it wasn't the standard psychotherapeutic psychobabble. Right. And so <clears throat> over the years, you know, then I sort of became a sex therapist and then I started, you know, really getting into research about this because I still thought, you know, I ended up breaking up with this guy, not because of that, but, you know, other stuff. But And then, you know, lo and behold, my libido came back. But, it, 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 you know, the so there's mystery. something in that too. I'm not suggesting that people break up, by the way. That is not, that is not the, what the book is about, breaking up. But... <laughs> But that was just how my story unrolled. Uh, but what it did do was give me a lived experience of if somebody who is as sexually adventurous as me is in danger of losing their libido, how is it then for people who perhaps are less sexually adventurous than me, who are a bit more, let's say, average, uh -huh. um, how are they going to cope? when this happens to them, if indeed it does happen to them. And so then as I became a sex therapist, a lot of my research started to focus on this because increasingly in my practice in Australia in particular, and then as I moved here into the US, it was all, when I was working with couples, that was, that's the number one reason that couples see a sex therapist mm -hmm. is, is because of this. And this is true whether they're straight or queer or whatever configuration, this is true if they are kinky or vanilla or like this, this really crosses all barriers because mm. what I discovered, and this is probably going to surprise folks listening, is that our relationship to libido is not necessarily about our relationships to our partners. Mm -hmm. It's actually about our relationships to ourselves. Right. Right. And so that just fucking changes everything. Right. Because it flies in the face of all this shit that you see in, you know, these listicles about, you know, top 10 ways to turn him on and top 10 ways to do this and have an orgasm. And, you know, all of that stuff is great and fine and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with it except that when you are in the grip of chronic low libido, none of that stuff works anymore mm -hmm. because you've lost the meaning, you've lost the purpose, you've lost the passion, you've lost the incentive. So it's not like just, you know, find something you like and do more of it because that's not going to be enough. There has to be more to it. And so that's where my research came into, came into its own was like, well, what works? Not what's wrong with you because I think nothing's wrong with any of us. Mm -hmm. 
but I really researched what works and that's what I came up with. Ooh, ooh. So let's, there's so much, so much. I want to start unpacking the libido piece because most people think like, well, if I was really, you know, into my partner or turned on or blah, 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 I just have this raging sex drive and that would be it. And, and so I don't, and something's wrong and my attraction has everything to do with like how I feel with my partner. So let's unpack, right. you know, what is libido? What is desire? Right. What yeah. real, where do all these things come from and what are they? Okay. So, you know, different clinicians will have different, uh, interpretations of these words. So the words, as I use them and I interpret them. I mean, when I talk about libido, I talk about that carnal kind of lusty thing that we generally refer to as horniness. That's what I mean by libido. So it's basically, it's horniness. It's mm-hmm. it's a physical and it can be either spontaneous or, you know, responsive as we know that it either, you know, for some people it just does come up out of nowhere, like you're in the supermarket and then all of a sudden you're like, ooh, fondling the melons and you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, or... <laughs> It happens to some of us. Um, and then, of course, responsive desire, uh, which actually is what I refer to as, as libido, is uh, the horniness that you, you you get turned on. You feel horny, so you get swelling in your loins or whatever in response to something else happening. You know, someone says nice things to you or someone nibbles on your neck or, you know, you smell your favorite lube and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe right. I'll try that. So that's what libido is. So arousal, by my definition, is the process of – is the physical part. So libido is the the nervous system and that that longing and, and, and the enthusiasm for sex. Arousal is simply the physiological bit. So it's the engorgement, it's the erection, it's the swelling, it's the lubrication – it's what happens if you take Viagra. So you can have a hard-on but have no desire. So you can be sitting there with, a, you know, a raging hard-on and still be completely disinterested because that is what arousal is. For some people, the presence of arousal, the presence of an erection or the presence of a wet pussy makes them think, oh, yeah, that does actually put me in the mood and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But for some people, those two don't go together. So we we have to make that distinction between horniness, which is a a feeling, Mm -hmm. and arousal, which is a physiological response in much the same way that when we eat a sandwich, we don't have to think about digesting it. It just happens. As all our job is to eat the sandwich and then we don't have to think about, oh, no, I'm going to sit here and digest. We just go about the rest of our day and we don't think, oh, yes, I can feel the peristalsis happening and now I can feel it moving into my large intestine. None of us, well, <laughs> right? few of us think like that, right? So that's arousal. Wait, I have a question about arousal. Is it always okay. involuntary or is it ever voluntary? Uh, I would argue that it could probably be a combination of both. You can make yourself aroused, obviously, through masturbation if you start off with you know, starting from zero and you move into a state of arousal by touching your body in a way that you know produces blood flow, basically. It's the same as, like, in that way, it is very much like digestion. It's just a physiological response to a particular set of conditions. So if you want to experience arousal um, and you're not, you can touch yourself in such a way to produce it. It doesn't always work that way. So that's not a cut and dried black and white sort of answer. Um, But for people who don't have any underlying physiological problems, it is something that most of us can access, again, 
in the right conditions, in the right circumstances, and I do go into that in the book. Okay. Desire is, in my definition, it's the mental and emotional component of sex that is often the part that when we lose our interest, when we lose our enthusiasm for sex, it's often that's the part that we lose connection with the most because we can, you know, we can masturbate with our favorite toys or we can do, you know, watch our favorite porn clips or whatever and get some kind of enthusiasm happening that may be arousal and maybe even orgasm. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of mental engagement. There's not a lot of emotional engagement. And and if we're looking for a sort of satisfaction, if we're looking for something that gives us a little bit of a, a sort of an extra otherworldly memory factor, mm -hmm. so a solo practice where you're just rubbing one out before falling asleep, that's fine at a physiological level. That's kind of like a genital sneeze, you know. Um, <laughs> right yeah that's yeah. what it is but there's no there's no imagination in it there's no kind of like it's not and I, I don't mean to poo poo it there's nothing wrong with it it's just that you you're know, not wrong yeah <laughs> when when people when people are saying i've lost my libido or you know i want to i want to rediscover desire they're not necessarily saying um i i just want to rub one out before i fall asleep Mm -hmm. I they're talking about something that's often a bit more esoteric and a bit more worldly than that. And often it has to do with this sense of feeling purpose and meaning behind what they're doing and, and feeling kind of enthusiastic right. about sex. And it's that enthusiasm. It's the absence of enthusiasm about sex that for a lot of people, is where we end up with somebody saying, I think I've lost my libido or somebody saying, I think my partner's lost their libido or couples saying we have mismatched libidos, meaning we're not on the same page. We are not dealing with this very well. And then because in our culture we tend to associate sex and love together, mm -hmm. a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking, well, if you don't want to fuck me anymore, does that mean you don't love me anymore? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know? So question, I want to clarify something about desire. So the desire is the mental and emotional piece. That's really like that driver, you know, um, yeah. desire can include that, that passion or that sexual attraction to your mate, your partner, whatnot, mm -hmm. but does it always have to be? Exactly. It does not. Okay. And this is the thing. And so that's how this book sort of rolls out is it's not about focusing your attention on your partner, because this is also true for people who are unpartnered. Right. This right. is about a relationship to the erotic itself. Yes. And the erotic, in my definition, is absolutely the the almost magical quality that sex brings us, It where it transports us to another world that is it, it transcends just the the basic kind of rubbing out physical element of it not that there's anything wrong with that but to take it to another level people often want this you know hot you know they they talk about the best sexual experiences of their lives being hot and and you know connected and otherworldly people talk about these things they remember them not so much 
you know, what they were wearing or what color the sheets were, but what they remember is how they felt. I'm just sort of also thinking that physical attraction uh, is not necessary right for some people for desire although it can be but it's also about you know because physical attraction waxes and wanes in relationships and if we're going to be with somebody for a long time Mm -hmm. you know our bodies are going to change and we we're not going to look like we did 10 years ago so if if our attraction is based solely in how somebody looks at a certain point in their lives Uh we we probably are in danger then of having um you know, a somewhat limited erotic life because people just don't look the same for the duration of their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to be with somebody for 40 years, the person you hook up with at 20, they're not going to look like that at 60. So Mm -hmm. I think we have to, again, like, but in the book I sort of go through this thing about helping people as individuals find well, what does matter to them? And and if you are very sort of visually oriented and that really is your thing, uh-huh. then that's that's okay, you know, and then we have to learn how to work with that. Right, But right. I think perhaps a lot of people are not nearly as visually oriented as they think they are at the outset. Right. And the reason that I say that is because once people start learning how to think about sex in a much broader way than, you know, hot or not, it actually gives them a lot more scope to understand what's going on within them when they're engaging in sex. And when I say sex, of course, I mean anything. I don't mean intercourse. I mean all of the things right? Um, that that allow you to start to develop a relationship with yourself that's a bit more like, you know, why am I doing this and how do I want to feel mm-hmm. and what kinds of things get me there? And if the visual element the attraction element is part of it, then that's okay. But you might find also as you mature and age that your tastes are going to change and your interests are going to change. And I think that that is actually a fantastic thing too. Yeah. And and there's a reason I asked this. There's a method to my madness. Okay. Um, because a lot of our listeners are consider themselves kinky, belong to the kink community, etc. Right. And in the yeah. kink community, we have quite a, a larger than people assume subsection of people that identify as asexual or somewhere on the asexual spectrum. Right. And the reason I bring this up is because a lot of our listeners either A, are asexual, or B, they may have partners who are asexual. And when it comes to asexuality, which is very misunderstood, people always default to, oh, when I hear that somebody's asexual, I assume they are a sex repulsed asexual, which is Uh, a valid identity, but uh but it's a spectrum, right? So there are a lot of folks that identify as asexual, meaning they do not experience sexual attraction to another person, but they still have sex because they have the libido. Their desire is driven by things other than attraction to a person. Um, So hearing you break this down and take this apart, I feel like this granular level of understanding is really important for people who are or play with people who are not sex repulsed asexuals. So I just want to throw that out there and put that in the listener's brain, plant the seed, do with it what you will. Right. And I talk about that like in the introduction of the book and I, I do mention asexuality and I make a statement to say, 
you know, for people who have never experienced attraction or any interest in sex at all, ever, at any stage in their lives, this book is not designed to change your mind or to change your identity or to change how you are in the world. But if you are someone who once upon a time has wanted sex and perhaps you would want to want it again, obviously the, the content in the book is not designed to try and dissuade anybody from how they identify or, or anything like it's not, it's not actually about dissuading anyone from anything they're already doing. Mm -hmm. If anything, this book is about helping you understand your erotic template. That's what I call it in the book, uh -huh. helping you understand your erotic template, however that works for you. Right. And I'd literally take you on a step-by-step -step guided journey on how to do that And I take you through those steps by giving you science, by giving you um, a lot of case studies, by giving you applications of the science, because sometimes when it's just the science, it can be a bit kind of like, meh, so what? Mm -hmm. um, but then I, and then I also take it into sort of somewhat esoteric realms, but it's not so woo-woo that I'm going to lose the science people either. I really try to right. deliberately blend in lots and lots of different pieces because the data and the research matter And the application also matter. And the application is really where the rubber meets the road. So I don't tell you what to do or how to think, right. but I teach you what I've learned. And then together we start to apply that to your life in mm -hmm. your particular context. And that's what creates your erotic template. So it does include asexuals as well yeah. on all aspects of the asexual spectrum. And and I, I love that because it, it really is, you know, I approach sexuality and, you know, my specialty is kink in a very um, customizable, like my tagline is kink is customizable in a very choose mm -hmm. your own adventure way. We are all different. Like it's all big old, everything's a big old spectrum, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the way we're taught to think about sexuality is we should all respond the same way. We should all act the same way. Should we show? So you give those tools so people can pick and choose what exactly. applies to them and their situation. And, you know, all of the, the, the infinite factors that make up who we are as sexual people. Exactly. Um, right down to defining what sex even is. Yes. You. you read my mind because yeah. that's where I wanted to go next. Because when we hear about sex and we hear about pleasure, like our relationship to pleasure from what society has told us is so screwed up. We think, like, you know, we devalue our own pleasure. We think it's indulgent. We think it's, you know, frivolous and unimportant and childish. And we should not seek pleasure. Um, which is not true. Right. Uh, so talk to mm -hmm. me about what is sex? What is the pursuit of erotic pleasure? How do we define that? That is where it really comes down to what brings you satisfaction as an individual, what inspires you as an individual. And sometimes we have to be able to look back into our erotic histories to then be able to go forward and say, well, where do I want to go next? Because sometimes our history has signposts about little things that we did or experienced or wish we had done or experienced that give us an indication of not necessarily what we want to do, but again, how we want to feel. A lot of this comes back to how do you want to feel? Yes. And then the second part of it is what's going to get you there or what might get you there in the event that you don't know. Mm -hmm. I also talk about 
erotic risk taking. Because I think too, and this is sort of riding on the back of of what we've moved into now about, you know, I guess we can call it consent culture. Mm-hmm. And for the record, let me flag straight out of the cage here that I am absolutely pro-consent. I'm not suggesting for a second that I am not, that's not what I'm about to say. But sometimes when we are in such, um, when we when we need to be safe, so safe that we will not allow ourselves to color outside the lines or or allow ourselves to have experiences that that push us a little bit to our edges and those edges are defined by you not by me by you as an individual person if we just do what we've always done over and over and over and it brings us joy and pleasure then fine there's no problem but for the people listening who are like "Mm, i used to love this thing and now i don't love it anymore and i think i want something else taking an erotic risk means taking a sidestep away from what you normally do into something that perhaps you thought oh no i wouldn't do that if i'm i'm always a top i would never bottom mm-hmm. really maybe or i'm always a bottom i would never top really are you sure maybe and and starting to allow ourselves permission to again going back to the how do i want to feel and what kinds of things could i consider allowing myself to try once twice three times simply to see if my body is going to like it now, it, it's similar to how we decide what food we like, mm-hmm. right? Because if I say to you, Sunny, you know, her, do you like Ethiopian food? What's your answer? <laughs> it's funny. We just had this conversation. Everyone is like, <gasps> when I say I have never had Ethiopian food and I want to try it so bad. Exactly. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, but I, this am is the thing. See, I am down. I am down. You can't. Yeah, yeah. But you can't know if you like it because you've never had it. And the only way you're going to know if you like it is is to try it. And it's similar if I say, you know, well, it's kind of like Indian food. It's kind of spicy and it's got a lot of sauce and there's vegetables, but you've got to eat it with your hands. And But it's not exactly the same as Indian food. And then people are like, what is it, like Mexican food? It's like, no, it's not like that either. But it's this kind of wet, spicy you know, saucy deliciousness. Right. Which w- is everything we want in like sex. Wet, spicy, saucy, and delicious. Like Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so this is the thing because some of us have gotten so um so caught up in this notion of let's say enthusiastic consent that that sometimes yes. we paint ourselves into a corner. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Okay, so I felt like I've been in a perpetual state of burnout for years, most of my adult life, all my life. And it seems to get worse with time. Most of the time, I don't even realize that I am stretched way beyond capacity. I just keep trucking along and then bam, it hits me all at once. I feel all of the overwhelm and it's so much sometimes I just shut down. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you and me to prioritize yourself. You know, talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. For me, therapy helps me stop 
observe and strategize, you know, to figure out what's within my control that I can change, what's not and how to navigate around it and how to develop and assert my boundaries. That's a big one. And also how to be more in tune with my body, my mind and my situation so I can see when the stress is starting to mount way before I hit the point of total shutdown. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. American Sex Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash A-S-P. That's for American Sex Podcast. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash A-S-P. I am all for convenience. You know, more time for relaxation, pleasure, and less time stressing over the details. You know what they say, delegate, delegate, delegate. Well, that might be a good solution, maybe like at work, but for more personal things, that gets a little tricky. Like sex toy shopping. Trying to choose from a sea of products is just so overwhelming. There is so much, too much. I can't choose. I spend hours researching. Ugh. Luckily, Like a Kitten takes care of all of that for me. Like a Kitten offers subscription gift boxes, so each season you'll receive a new shipment right to your door with all of the ingredients to spice up your sex life. Their spring box will tickle all of your senses with treats like strawberry nipple arousal cream, cheeky apple lube, and melting rose petals for a sexy, sexy bath. The people at Like a Kitten are expert curators and they select beautiful pleasure products. This spring, you'll get a pink glass dildo, flowered glass Kegel balls, and even a mini flower pot that's not a euphemism with seeds for daisies, sunflowers, and roses. I love Like a Kitten because I can delegate my sex essential shopping to them. No stress, no indecision, and they send me things that inspire my creativity. The spring subscription box price is only $79, which is a great deal because the products in this box retail for well over $150. To celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering American Sex Podcast listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or enter the code sunny at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or use code sunny, that's S-U-N-N-Y, to get 15% off these incredible boxes. That's likeakitten.com slash sunny. And the link is in our episode description. so caught up in this notion of let's say enthusiastic consent that that sometimes we paint ourselves into a corner so it's really hard to be enthusiastic about something if you've never tried it right and so this is where for me I sort of take the angle of enthusiastic consent and, and change it to engaged consent can you be engaged with the process can you be willing to try something that you think you might like that you think is gonna you know 
do something for you again according to your own motivations and i talk about that in the book too because there are hundreds of reasons that people have sex not just because they're horny mm-hmm. and not just to make babies and not just to do all the things that we think it is and so uh, engaged consent is really about our willingness to go all right well i've never had ethiopian food but i'm, I'm willing to try it and maybe i don't like this dish, but I'm going to try it a couple of times to make sure that I can categorically say I either like it or I don't like it. Oh, you are speaking to my soul because th- this is a conversation that I've been having a lot. I am completely on board with mm-hmm. um, engaged. Absolutely. Because you can be like, I'm kind of nervous about this thing. Ooh, I don't know. It's uh-huh. Especially if you're talking about things like kink, where we're already playing with fear and uh, we're eroticizing uncertainty. We may not seem like the classic definition of jumping up and down for joy like a cheerleader, we may be apprehensive, but very engaged and still willing. And that's like a nuance and a distinction that one, you need to get right because you can't misinterpret that shit. Um, And two, that's really important. And, you know, one of the other things as you're talking about this that I've been seeing as a trend within the kink community is this over-reliance on safety to the point of it holding us back. Now, like you, you I'm on board with consent. I am all for like making sure that you vet your partners and what you're doing is safe and like all of those things. But then it gets to that point, as you said, you're trying something new. And you don't know how it's going to be. You're, you know, you're following that curiosity. And I'm seeing a lot of folks who, uh, you know, desiring safety to the point where they are letting that need for safety get in the way of being vulnerable. They're letting it right. get in the right. way of yeah. come of accepting the fact that they may take this risk and do this yes. thing and it may turn out to not be as great as they thought or turn out to be exactly. like, nah, I didn't really like that, that the safety, the need for safety has gotten in the way of that risk taking. And I don't know yeah. if it's, uh, you know, looking at generations, I'm seeing like, Younger folks like Gen Zers are a little bit more cautious when it comes to stuff like that. This is just anecdotal. Yeah. I'm not sure, but yeah. I think it's a cultural shift somehow. Have you seen this? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's because up until maybe, you know, five or six years ago, we were probably a bit too much in the other direction. And when I say we, I mean, I guess I'm talking about more about the vanilla community. Right. I think the kink community has always been light years ahead in terms of consent practices because it has to be that way in, right. in kink world, especially if you're playing at the heavier end of the spectrum. Um, and so then that knowledge, you know, crossed over into the vanilla world about five or six years ago, and right. that needed to happen there too. And I think what's happened is because as sex conversations have become more mainstream, they have been allowed to become more mainstream because they're riding on the back of this notion of consent and right. consent, 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 because, you know, we needed to have a public discourse about consent and we're, we're still doing it now, which is great. And I think it's also been at the expense of um, 
people really being honest about what their motivations for sex actually are because if everything is just about, you know, people being very polite and not being really real with themselves and each other, it's pretty hard to have, uh, you know, an unforgettable scene if everyone's just kind of skirting around and nobody wants to say anything in case somebody gets upset, you know. I just think that there has to be. And, again, like this is obviously very, very specific to individuals in their unique context. So this is why I talk about it in the book in a very nuanced way to say we can't brush everybody with the same brush. Like Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. Yeah. But what I can say categorically is if your need for safety is greater than your willingness to stretch yourself, you may find yourself stuck at the bus stop waiting for a bus that never comes. Right. Right. Yeah. Because at some point, if the bus that you're waiting for, you know, which is how you've always done sex before, and all of a sudden that bus is just not coming, that route has changed for whatever reason, and we can go into that too. Mm -hmm. But sometimes those bus routes, they just change. And, like, this is what happened to me. I got stranded at the bus stop, and I'm with this guy, and otherwise, and it's ostensibly a good relationship, but I just didn't want sex anymore. And I didn't have the knowledge then that I have now, Mm -hmm. which is I was just waiting for things to be how they used to be again, and they weren't, and they Uh. weren't coming back, you know. And I could have just stayed. And what happened, I did just stay at the bus stop. And and then that was the end of that was the end of me and my sexual connection to that per, that particular person. But what I know now is that there's a hundred different ways to get to the destination, and the bus is only one of them. But you have to be willing to experiment a little bit and color outside the lines of of who you think you are. Right. Oh, I love that. And you know, it makes me think of. I don't know, lately, I've been thinking of things on a, you know, a grander scheme, you know, the trends of all of us as as a, uh, you know, society or, or group think sort of thing. And, yeah. you know, with the pandemic, we, it has really taught us that shit's gonna change. And yeah. as much as we don't want it to change, as much as it's like, fuck, I'm, I like things the way they were. I want them to be the same all the time. We've learned on a very grand scale that we have to be adaptable. We have to roll with the changes. We can't just wish something to stay because it won't. And through right. that recalibration, even if it feels uncomfortable, we come out being more resilient. We come out learning really wonderful things about ourselves and the people in our lives that we never would have otherwise knew even existed. So that's my big moral of the story for all the American fuckers listening. Take that inspiration with you into your bedrooms (laughs) and be resilient. No, it's really true. Because I think too, it's that thing about you know, values, and I, and I talk about this in the book and I make a distinction between our, you know, personal values, our political values and our erotic values, and sometimes they don't blend together and sometimes they do and sometimes that's a source of, you know, inspiration for some people and for other people that's a source of shame. Right. It depends how you roll the dice, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing about values is we, we come to know them particularly when we have 
had some kind of adversity, when we have experienced or witnessed some sort of, you know, complication in our lives that help us say, oh, wow, actually, I have a really strong feeling about this. And I didn't know that I had that until I bumped up against this thing that really hurt me or pissed me off or made me think about, you know, this is not okay, or whatever it was. This is how we learn what matters to us is through our bumps and scratches that we that we take along mm-hmm. along life. And that again, I'm not saying that we should be just going around causing harm to each other and going, oh, well, you're just learning about your values. Fuck it. That's not what I mean. But there are times when we can allow ourselves to to expand a little bit to work out, well, who am I if I'm not this thing that I thought I was? Mm-hmm. Which direction can I go in next? How can I take the chance to learn more about myself based on what I might like to try, even though it feels a little bit, you know, a little bit edgy, a little bit risky, whatever that is. Right. And another subject that you bring up is something that I think a lot of us go through. Maybe we feel that in our, our minds, you know, all is good, but let's say we are aging, we're going through health issues, you know, perimenopause, our hormones are all over the place. Maybe we're, you know, uh, uh, learning more about our own neurodivergence. I know that's that's for me, you know, I have different sensory needs and experiences that I'm just starting to understand, like, why don't I like this thing that everybody likes? Oh, it's okay. Um, So when it comes to those things that that are more uh, wired within us that aren't about like a, you know, mind shift change. Mm. How do we uh, overcome those, uh, navigate around those things to, uh, you know, keep having a fulfilling, happy sex life? I think when it comes to, you know, physiological changes as a result of neurodivergence or hormones or that kind of stuff, which like you, I'm also in that too with the, with the menopause. Isn't it a um, joy? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and mine was so sudden. I was just like cruising along, do, 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 you know, a couple of hot flashes here and there, but mostly, <clears throat> okay. And then I woke up one day in July last year and was just like, oh, my God. whose body is this I just it was it's so fast for me it was literally overnight everything just changed but uh anyway we're not here to discuss my (laughs) 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 my crappy hormones um but you know that said I'm really trying to walk my talk at the moment with this because what I think you know with the physiological changes that is something that is, again, I think a lot of that is a bit more connected to the libido piece and the desire piece because if you're not feeling, you know, quote, unquote, horny um, because of physiological changes, that is not necessarily something that uh, engaging with the more kind of meta aspects of desire is going to change. That said, there is enough data to suggest that if we orient ourselves towards play, if we orient ourselves towards joy, if we orient ourselves towards freedom again, sometimes, and I mean like freedom in the in the broad sense, mm-hmm. not, not freedom in the <clears throat> political sense, if you know what I mean. So um, there is evidence to suggest that we can sort of overcome some of these physiological hurdles, but also too, I think, 
as we age and as our bodies change, part of it is about learning to accept that, that things are just not going to be how they used to be. And again, this is this notion of waiting at the bus stop for a bus that doesn't come. If your brain has changed because of menopause, if your body has changed because you're older, if your body has changed because you've had an accident or you have developed, you're living with a chronic illness, which is going to be a lot of people yes. across all kinds of ages, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, we have to accept that we are not all going to be these lithe, able-bodied fucking whatevers, but we are still sexual beings. So the labor, I think, in these situations is not how can we change the situation, but how can we adapt to offer ourselves pleasure, perhaps through a new lens or erotic, you know, creativity uh -huh. through a new lens. And that is something that, again, is a quest, and I talk about this in the book, that, that you know, desire is a not a problem to be solved. It's a quest to be seized. Ooh. And we have to approach desire as a quest, not as a goal, mm. because it's going to change and it's going to change a lot. Oh, I love it. It is not, it is not a constant thing. We're not in a state of desire as a, as a trait. It's not like, you know being five foot three like it's right. it's not like that you, you it is going to change over time and it's going to it's going to really be in flux depending on what's going on if you're grieving you lost your job you're you've moved to another country you got sick you changed your diet you're doing more exercise you're doing less exercise you're taking hormones you're not taking hormones like all of this stuff is going to affect it mm -hmm. so you know the 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 flux of it is the normal yes yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I hear and I I know you do too, hear from lots of couples who one person in the couple has, you know, the 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 sex drive of a a bunny rabbit, just constantly constantly <laughs> constantly. And then the right. other one either maybe they've, you know, after that honeymoon period where we're, you know, doing it all the time, um they settle back down to their normal set point which maybe doesn't match so we've got this mitch or or like something else is causing it but we've got this mismatched libido situation that plagues a lot yeah. of couples and oftentimes right. we see the you know the the person who wants to have sex a lot like what's wrong with you what's wrong with you what's wrong with you and then the person yeah, who yeah, doesn't yeah. going what's wrong with me what's wrong with me like we have right. to match the person that has the higher sex drive so how do we deal with that mismatch libido so i mean this is i think one of the big things that is about the social perception of libido is that <clears throat> the the higher desire partner is is the one who is leading the charge and therefore the lower desire partner is the one who needs to change. I don't take that view in this book. Uh -huh. I take the view that this has to be a shared quest and we have to be able to start talking about sex like it matters rather than trying to, you know, shove square pegs into round holes, unless you're into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just use lube, please use lube. You know what I mean. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like, you know, as, as the higher desire partner, I can be like, you know, come on, I want I want, I want, want more of you. 
And then the lower desire partner is like, well, well, I'm going to try. And then it, it's a lot of pressure on the lower desire partner to do the, to be doing the one doing the changing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that is necessarily helpful. And I also don't think it's necessarily fair because sometimes the higher desire partner needs to also change a little bit to say, well, how can you maybe bring it down a little bit to make room for your partner? And this is assuming that you're monogamous. Uh -huh. If you're not monogamous, then we have a whole other conversation about you can outsource different parts of your erotic life right. to different partners in a, in a, you know, consensual, willing, whatever you want to call it way that ultimately I think for a lot of couples opening up if you haven't already or if you have that can be a really useful thing to do i i think it can be particularly difficult for monogamous couples mm -hmm. when one is very high and one is very low and i'm not saying that you have to open up but i do think opening up is a very reasonable approach to again addressing this quest right it, it, we have to look at it as a quest and the idea that the low one is the problem one is not true that is just nonsense right. this is this is a shared problem and if one person is having a libido problem then the relationship has a libido problem and it has to be all hands on deck until a bunch of solutions are are explored and it is probably going to be not just one solution it's probably going to be multiple things yeah yeah oh that is so helpful because yeah, that's a, a problem that so many people have. And and another thing is, you know, when couples have these problems, a lot of assumptions fall in line. And just even in general, even general society, we believe that the partner with the high libido is or the high desire is the man if it's a heterosexual mm -hmm. relationship the partner with the lower desire is a woman we also collectively believe that these kinds of discrepancy problems don't happen in uh queer relationships you know lesbian right. gay etc um it, that it doesn't happen in people that aren't that don't conform to the gender binary we have all of these beliefs so i want to know you know and also not only do we have all of these beliefs some of these things have studies that back them up so i want to know one is it true two if it partially is is it nature is it nurture what's what's going on with all that so <clears throat> when those studies were done or have been done and, and sort of in some cases are continuing to be done, a lot of them are done in the context of, you know, what we call gender essentialism, which mm -hmm. is the implication that all men, penis-owning men I'm talking about, all penis-owning men want sex all the time because that's how men are and all vulva-owning women don't want sex all the time and they have to be, you know, wooed and coerced and, you know, fucking seduced and whatever else uh -huh. because, you know, nice girls don't want sex. And then the, you know, the, the research now that's coming out about trans people, which there's not a lot I have to say about trans people, and I, mm -hmm. I talk about that in the book too, um, uh, trans and non-binary, let me clarify that. <clears throat> so in terms of the gender stuff and, and let's say the chromosome element of it if, with your XX or XY, there is some suggestion that, you know, the more kind of robust libido will 
fall into the laps of uh, penis having men a little more than it will with vulva having women. That said, increasingly in the last 10 years, anecdotally, I have seen a lot more men presenting to work with me around experiencing a lack of interest in desire for a partner. That doesn't mean that they have no interest in porn and masturbation. They often have a lot of interest mm -hmm. in solo practices. But partnered sex for a lot of fellas is becoming less and less attractive, and there's a bunch of reasons for that too, or implied reasons, let's mm -hmm. say, no, no definitive answers. So, But basically the bottom line is that what the science is telling us about our, our gender and our hormones and our physiological inheritance is basically that it's inconclusive. And a lot of the things that we believed were true about, you know, men want sex and women don't is based on this old sort of 1950s idea of, you know, we're just playing these gender roles because up until fairly recently and probably, frankly, still it, it's very true still, a lot of women can't really talk about sex without being called a slut. And these days men can't talk about sex without being called a sex addict. So we have, you know, we're still living in an era where being able to really talk about sex meaningfully and also just beyond the horniness piece. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm working with men who are saying, you know, I, why won't my wife fuck me? you know, what's wrong with her, I always bring the question back to him and I say to him, so tell me why you have sex. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. Guess what? It's finally time to start that podcast you've been thinking about. Go! Because I've got two free months of podcasting service for you with Libsyn. List your show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, get a dashboard full of critical show building stats. Plus, Libsyn even does video. Use the code SUNNY at Libsyn.com or follow the link in the show notes. I always bring the question back to him and I say to him, so tell me why you have sex. Because I guarantee it's not just horniness. Mm. And so they sort of stop at that moment and they look at me and they say, you know, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, if it was just about horniness, you'd sort yourself out, right? You'd do it to yourself. And then he's like, no, 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 but it's different. I said, exactly. So tell me how it's different. And so that is where I lead the inquiry for, you know, traditionally for men who have always gotten away with, oh, well, I'm horny, so that's why I, I want to have sex all the time, uh -huh. to help them understand, well, if it's not just 
horniness that's motivating you, which in you know the majority of cases it is not just horniness that's motivating them. There is something else. They have to be willing to go down that rabbit hole a little bit and find out what it is, which takes the pressure off their girlfriends and wives mm. to be the one who gives them whatever this magical thing is that they're looking for that they can't get by themselves. Right. So... <clears throat> It depends, again, on whether or not the fellas are willing to do that. A lot of the fellas don't want to go down that rabbit hole in case they find out something about themselves that perhaps they don't like. But that tells us a lot about how men have been conditioned to think about sex in contrast with how women have been conditioned to think about sex and how that plays out in bedrooms across the world because it does, even in the alt-sex communities, oh, that yes. stuff still really plays out. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it it is fascinating. And I, I cannot wait until the science catch up catches up with you know, reality um, yeah. because some of the stuff we, we believe that's so seeped in, you know, gender assumptions, basically patriarchal thinking, you know, yeah. binaries, it just does us such a disservice. Right. Um, and, and do we see, you know, the other part of that is you will hear oftentimes it's cis uh, hetero folks who are like, well, you know, gay couples don't have this problem. Gay, gay. Is that true? Do? Oh, no. Okay. It's totally true. They totally do. Same-sex couples, queer couples, they also experience mismatches in libido because it's it's completely normal, I've discovered, to have mismatches in libido. They become problematic when you don't know how to handle them. Mm. So mismatches in libido are a lot less about gender and they are a lot more about not having the tools to navigate them. And that really is, again, what the crux of this book is about, is I'm handing you a massive hardware store full of tools for you to use in ways that are going to be applicable for your context, for your relationship style, for your, you know, preferences. I don't tell you how you should be. I just say these are the tools. These, This is why I use these tools. This is how my clients have used them. You go and use them how you want to. Yeah, I mean, it is, there's so much, there's so much. And I think, I know, not that I think, I know that there are American fuckers listening right now because we're all really good at being in denial, you know, um, mm -hmm. that are like maybe coming out of that denial like, oh, yeah, I think I am having, you know, whether it's some mismatched libido issues in my relationship or things that are hinky with my own personal relationship or understanding with desire, etc. I think maybe I have some work to do. So I have a feeling the first thing you're going to say to those people is like, you know, go get your book. Um, but but what, <laughs> what can people do right now if they're like, shit, I need to start doing some self work, some like, you know, taking stock of my own sexual needs and desire? What would that first step be? Or maybe something they can do as soon as they turn off this podcast? They have to ask themselves the number one question that is in my sex therapist toolbox, which is why do you have sex? Or why do you want to have sex if you haven't wanted it anymore? Why do you want it to be different? The answer to that question is going to be the first place you go as you start 
redeveloping your relationship with desire. Mm. Yeah. And for a lot of us, that's a huge ass question. Like if we're keeping uh-huh. journals, we're going to be like three notebooks in. Yeah. 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 And this is the thing because, you know, so for the, for the high libido people, they might say, you know, oh, it's because I'm horny. It's like, all right, well, that's cool. What else? Give me another reason. Right. And because then again, like as I always say to them, if it's just horniness, you would just sort yourself out. You don't need another person to be around if you're just horny. You can just go and jerk off or, you know, Jane off or whatever you want to call it. Do your own thing. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But then people are like, no, no, I want my partner involved. And I'm like, right, there it is. Uh-huh. Tell me, tell me what it is about partnered sex that gives you whatever the feeling is. What is the feeling that you get from partnered sex? And then they'll be like, oh, well, I feel, you know, maybe I feel connected. I feel wanted. I feel validated. I feel this. I feel that. Da, da, da. So it's like, all right, so that's your motivation, validation. You want to be validated by your partner, validated what? That you're hot, that you're desirable, that you're, that you've still got it, that you're, you know, and that's where it starts to become really about a relationship to life. I need someone else to to uh, affirm for me uh-huh. that I'm okay. And that's that's fine. Like I'm not saying that's a bad reason. But if that is the truth, that is where the conversation has to be between you and your partner, not just, you know, fuck me or else, because that's not going to be helpful. And generally that doesn't yield a great you know, uh, BDSM. Sometimes that could, <laughs> that okay, might be attractive. All right. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. All right. So, so, so I, I have a I question stand, that might I stand do- corrected. <laughs> I have a question that might dovetail. And if this is too big of a question or it's not in your area of expertise, please let me know. But I want to talk a little bit about the Kinsey scale. What it is? Is it arousal, libido, and does it change throughout one's life? Uh, so the Kinsey scale is about identity though, wasn't it? About whether or not it's about physical attraction to a specific gender. So like it's sort of a sliding scale going back and forth. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Between between same sex and opposite sex. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, I, I mean, I, it's not something I pay a lot of attention to, frankly. Because, again, it changes. And, the, I mean, the notion of heterosexual and homosexual is really only like about 100 or so years old, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, that's not to say that gay people haven't been around since forever. Of course they have been. But, um, you know, and then and bisexual people certainly, you know, we've been around for a very long time. Straight people, I think, are probably re- the relative newcomers to the scene because sexuality up until fairly recently, and I say like a hundred or so years, people never really asked each other, are you straight or are you gay or are you bi? The only reason these questions started coming into the into the vernacular was as a way of discriminating and giving certain groups more privileges than others. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So they're not actually based on human sexuality. That said, Kinsey studied them in a time you know, really when those privileges were being handed out and who got cookies and who didn't. Um, but realistically, when we look at, you know, the the scope and the realm of human sexuality as it is, the notion of attraction to gen- based on gender is, <clears throat> and I think always has been a very superfluous thing, simply because... Mm-hmm. 
we might fall to one end of the spectrum more than the other. Perhaps we could say, you know, I'm mostly heterosexual or I'm mostly gay. But there are going to be times where, again, we might find ourselves stretched above and beyond. Or perhaps in our fantasy world, we imagine ourselves with genders that we wouldn't normally play with. But Mm -hmm. in real life, we wouldn't necessarily want to act it out. I don't think that that necessarily means we have a latent desire to do something with a person of a gender who we wouldn't normally play with. It might mean that, but it could also speak to your relationship to your own gender and what that means for you in your solo sex life that has nothing to do with your partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything's a spectrum. Everything, everything. Literally everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Cindy, where can folks find you, find your book? And and for those listening, if you're like, oh, I can't write it down, I'm driving or whatever, you know, (laughs) I got, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not going to speculate or keep shame. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, you can go to the uh, episode description for this episode and get all those links. But if you want to give us the quick rundown, where can we find Yeah, you? so just my website, cindydarnell.com, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. Uh, that's got all the things you can. There are links there to purchase the book. All the major online retailers uh, have it in a hard copy and a um, e-copy. There's no audible version, no audio book version of it, and there won't be for some time, unfortunately, because the publishers don't do it. So I'm told. I know, it's a bummer. You know what I want to hear? I want to hear your amazing voice. (laughs) Do it, do it, branch out. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to. So, I mean, there would be scope for it maybe like in a year or so, they said, but it's, it's it's not imminent. It's not happening. It's certainly not happening this year. So, um, if you are a, an auditory kind of person, you might have to get someone to read it out to you. <laughs> that could be a cool, like, you know, bonding, kind of, like read it to each other as a yeah. bonding. That would be, or like those who are kinky, assign it to like your subs to, you know, you'll have book time. Maybe they'll read it. Maybe they'll do a report on each chapter exactly. and you'll discuss it. <laughs> Look at all these ideas. And then you'll fuck like crazy because it'll (laughs) increase your desire and libido i don't know something anyway (laughs) it might it It might might. it might (laughs) um thank you so much cindy like i said i absolutely admire your brain and i am so thankful that you you know took a portion of your brain and put it to page so we can all enjoy it and um really benefit from it and uh until next time it was so great to talk to you yeah Thank you Likewise. so much. It was great to catch up with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll be talking to you soon. Until next time. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. 
If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.